Welcome to Movies, Music, Etc. We're your host. I'm Kyle. I'm Grant. And today we're going to talk to you about Con, Con Air. Air. Woohoo! So, Con Air came out in 1997, directed by Simon West, who is also known for directing Tomb Raider, The Mechanic, and The Expendables 2. It was written by Scott Rosenberg, also known as Beautiful Girls, High Fidelity, Gone in 60 Seconds, The Jumanji Remakes, Venom, and Tales from the Crypt episode. And he has uncredited revisions of writing scripts for Armageddon, The General's Daughter, Spider-Man, Pain and Gain. And he also is credited for actually acting in some of these things. Uh, the producer, Jerry Brockheimer, who's literally in everything. He was a big producer on this. And some of his big uh, calls to fame is Flashdance, Beverly Hills Cop 1 and 2, Top Gun, Days of Thunder, Bad Boys, The Rock, Gone in 60 Seconds, Black Hawk Down, Pearl Harbor, and... Like my co-host here said, in every CSI anything ever. So, and then the score was done by Trevor Ribbon, and it was done on a $75 million budget, and ended up bringing in $101 million domestically and $224 million worldwide. Uh, some of the some of the actors in this is noticeably my favorite, Nicolas Cage. John Cusack, John Malkovich, Steve Buscemi, Vig Grimes, Paul Maney, and Danny Trejo. Alright, so now we're going to go over the summary. So, uh, spoiler warnings. If you haven't heard, heard this or watched the movie, go ahead and go watch it. Cameron Pro, highly decorated Army Ranger, comes home to Alabama to his pregnant wife, uh, Trisha, only to run into a few drunken regulars at the bar she works at. Cameron accidentally kills one of the drunks and is sent to a federal penitentiary for involuntary manslaughter for seven years. He becomes eligible for parole and can now go home to his wife and daughter. Unfortunately, Cameron has to share a, plane, a prison plane with the country's most dangerous criminals, who take control of the plane and is now planning to escape the country. Cameron has to find a way to stop, stop them while playing along. Meanwhile, United States Marshal Vince Larkin is trying to help Cameron get free and stop the criminals led by Cyrus the Virus Grissom. So, as mentioned before, Nicolas Cage plays Cameron Poe. John Cusack plays U.S. Marshal Vince Larkin, John Malkovich, Cyrus the Virus Grissom, Steve Buscemi, played by Garland Green, Vig Rhymes, Diamond Dog, Calm Maney, Agent Duncan Malone, and Danny Trio is John A23, but uh, uh, Pinball is played by Dave Chappelle. It's one of his earlier mentions in, in movies. But, like, I I can't believe this movie <laughs> wasn't, like, bigger back in the day. Because, like, well, you know, I was a 10-year-old kid, and I, like, action, action, action all over the damn place. So I was like, woo! But, fun fact, since that's why we're here, there's actually some uh, other people that were close to playing Cameron Poe, which was Tom Cruise was one, Johnny Depp, Brad Pitt, Bruce Willis, and Keanu Reeves. Like, well, it makes sense with the Tom Cruise being that uh, Jerry Bruckheimer was a producer in Days of Thunder and Top Gun. So, yeah, that kind of goes in with that and Tom Cruise, but they probably didn't need a 5'4 star. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, like, that's his biggest bash in all of his movies and everything. But, like, I, I think Bruce Willis was... <clears throat> Well, back in the 90s, all these guys were pretty big action stars. Uh, yeah. And so, like, 
they were a pretty hot commodity, and you'll see through uh, more of these episodes how a lot of these guys are just all in the same movies. A lot of these directors are in the same movies because, like, that's when you take a chance on something that cost you seventy-five million dollars, and you're like, I kind of want the best. But uh, another, uh, uh, but Cage was cast because he worked with Jerry Brockheimer in the in The Rock, so like they were, they like working together. And yeah, The Rock is another good movie. <laughs> Never seen it. But uh, Cyrus Grissom, before it went to uh, John Malkovich, Gary Oldman, Mickey Rourke, and William Defoe were all approached for this, which, like, I, I, I think those are all three good actors, but it's hard to picture somebody else doing it. Playing Cyrus and getting everybody on board and his trickery of uh, the way he talks and says things, yeah, that's what really turned me on to him. Well, and then, like, once you see somebody play a part, you're like, oh, yeah, you know. Right. No one else could play. It's like a, like Henry Cavill. Like, he's a really good Superman. Or <laughs> or uh, Hugh Jackman, big one. Like, who else could play Wolverine? And, like, I, I oh, could, yeah. That, I could yeah. pick a thousand people. But, but uh, or Vince Larkin, who was actually played by John Cusack, that role almost went to Robert Downey Jr. or and Charlie Sheen, but at the time Charlie Sheen was doing a lot of other action movies, and Robert Downey Jr. was kind of in trouble. Yeah. With the drugs. The, with the law. <clears throat> but uh. Yeah, that kind of throw a hitch in there. I want you to play a, a FBI agent, but oh, yeah. you're you're in FBI trouble. Yeah, he's a <laughs> U.S. Marshal anyway. Oh yeah. But uh, like I think this was a. a I think the beginning part was really fast paced because you're supposed to you were supposed to like care about what what he was doing, right? Like you met Trisha for like seven minutes of the whole movie, you know, and and they kept emphasizing like he's gonna go home on July fourteenth, you know, because it was his daughter's birthday, and you know, so we got her like a a bunny, a bunny, <laughs> which actually comes into play later. It was like it was actually uh, Nicholas Cage's idea because. He said it represented like the pain and the suffering that he went through being away from his wife and daughter, and so he was. Uh, so in an interview, Cage uh, brought up the idea. He was like, "I'm proud of that. The whole bunny thing was mine. I wanted it to be symbolic of all the pain and loss that we had gone through, just for the protection of protecting my pregnant wife, protecting her too well, and got thrown into prison. <laughs> Which, uh, oh, thank God, none of us have to have a." <clears throat> doesn't happen very right. often anymore but uh like back then it was all a bunch of big explosions awesomeness and <laughs> like I, I guess till this day i can't get enough of this movie because it's <laughs> it just makes me happy all around but uh and if you've never seen the movie and you're watching it the first time you have to have the surround sound on yeah you're like <laughs> just go buy a surround sound <laughs> but like what are the so we're gonna end up talking about the soundtrack now to this. Like, it's a bunch of like little scoring bits from the movie, but there are some famous songs in this. And one of them is "How Do I Live," which is uh, was written by Diane Warren and it was pinned by Leon Rimes for the hit single for that. But for the movie, Trisha Yearwood had to sing it because at the time Leon Rimes was only 14, and uh, it would have looked really bad <laughs> having a minor singing a song for a rated R movie. Even though this is action-packed, explosions, you know, karate kicking and shooting in the arm and 
<laughs> being cool, looking like doing pull-ups on the back of a fire truck, you know. Then you have this nice, sweet, gentle song. <laughs> 14-year-old girl singing about how can I live without my soulmate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and don't get me started. <laughs> I know when I was 14, I, I knew who my soulmate was going to be. But another big song, which actually comes into the movie, like after they've captured the plane, they have a little boombox and they're sweet, they're singing "Sweet Home Alabama" by Leonard Skinner, and Garland Green, who's played by Steve Buscemi, he's like one of the sickest people in this universe. Most twisted, sickest, yeah. And uh, he's like, also one of the most down to earth. <laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, he looks at Cameron Poe and there's he goes, <laughs> "Define irony: a bunch of lunatics." dancing and singing to a song made famous by by a band who died in a plane crash which uh that is true and like back then i was like how'd they die in a plane crash but have this song but i was a 10 year old dumbass so <laughs> yeah the song was made famous 20 years before <laughs> well leave me alone <laughs> so uh but let me find his here but uh so uh I had to went and looked this up, and I ended up seeing that. Uh, I can't find this. Oh, right there, big bold letters for you. Then the summer of 1977, literally. <laughs> oh, literally 20 years. 20 years before the song. Members of the rock band Aerosmith inspected an airplane that was considered that was uh, they were considered chartering them for their upcoming tour, and it was a Convair 240 operated out of Addison, Texas. Concerns over the flight crew led Aerosmith to look elsewhere. A decision that saved one band from uh, from doom, uh, from you know, it saved them from being doomed, but you know, put a death warrant on another one. The aircraft in question was instead chartered chartered to the band Leonard Skinner who were just uh, setting out that autumn on their national tour that promised to have their biggest one to date. On October 20th, 1977, however, during the flight to Greenville, South Carolina to, to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Leonard Skinner's tour plane crashed in an emergency landing attempt, killing band members Ronnie Z. Zint, Steve Gaines, and Cassie Gaines, as well as the band's assisted road manager and the plane's pirate and co-pilot but 20 people did survive that see and that whole crash happened um leonard skinner the band didn't want to a major majority of the band did not want to go on that plane ride but ronnie van zant the head of the band everybody looked up to him he said you know what we don't really know aerosmith doesn't really know that this isn't going to happen like and we need to get to our next uh, concert so I'm okay with it if everybody else is okay with it and as soon as he said I'm okay with it everybody was on board and so Pop Quiz Grant another famous celebrity of the musician type Waylon Jennings not who was going for but it happened oh. here in Iowa at Clear Lake yeah Buddy Holly yeah yeah slap my hand he gave up his seat to or Waylon Jennings gave his seat oh. up to the big bopper Waylon Jennings is a murderer? <laughs> but uh, another notable song in in the movie, which was performed by Garland Green himself, was I Got the Whole World in My Hands. 
which he was singing when they were in uh, the Carson Airfield trying to do the plane swap. He just wanders off and he's like hanging out with some little, little girl. girl playing with Barbies and then he takes the Barbie back on him with yep. the plane. So, you know, he's weird. <laughs> There's no medicine for the, his sickness. Yeah. She, she asked him, she's like, what's wrong? Are you sick? I was like, oh, dude, he's going to snap right there and say something. <laughs> sick and twisted. Sick and twisted. So, Grant, I'm going to tell you some fun facts about this movie. <laughs> Did you know they had to change the movie's name in France? <laughs> I did know, but I can't remember why. The Wings of Hell is what they had to oh, call that's it. that's right. Because in France, the word con means dumb person. <laughs> so the movie would have been called Stupid People in the Air. <laughs> Leave it to the France. <laughs> but I would see, I would go watch a movie. It was like, The Wings of Hell. I'd oh, be like, right. what is this about? And then you have <laughs> Leon Ryan singing. I was like, I'm confused. <laughs> but you were talking about how... Oh, uh, John Malkovich is a pretty big method actor. He likes to get into character, and he really plays that character well. Well, one of the things is like there was a bunch of tension on this set because there was daily rewrites, and he's like he was worried that he wouldn't be able to like be convincing as that character. But you know, he he definitely pulled it off, and that's why it's one of the it is in my top five favorite movies because I'm a sucker for B movies. And I'm an easy critic, so <laughs> there's always that. So, but another fun fact, and uh, I did not know this until I started looking things up on it, that the director Sam West's first film that he did, that he, you probably haven't seen his work before. So, in fact, you've probably seen one of, uh, at least one thing West directed against his will, is an English documentary on, on many TV commercials for A-list companies like McDonald's and Pepsi. Okay. Well, like you remember that uh, that little girl, she was like, <sighs> oh yeah, I don't like I curly don't, hair, yeah, yeah, with the Pepsi, yeah, and then she's like, duh, duh Albert <laughs> Einstein. Uh, before that, <laughs> he was the director of Rick's Athlete Video, Never Gonna Give You Up. Never so gonna every, let you die. <laughs> so every time you get Rick rolled, <laughs> it's because of the guy who directed Con Air. <laughs> How does that make you feel? <laughs> Which, I like the song, but, like, when that whole Rick Rolling thing started, I did not know. <laughs> no, like, I did Well, I was like, this, this is not the video I clicked on, and then I'll go back, because I'm a dumbass. I'll go back, and I'll re-click on the video. I'm like, no, it's this is, computers don't work. You know, <laughs> right. I'm getting all mad and shit. <laughs> you have no idea how many times I wanted to watch I'll Be by Edwin McCain. The <laughs> <laughs> same thing, over and over. And everyone's like, it, like, I like the song, so Rick, roll me all you want, you dirty bastards. <laughs> but, but did you know that the transport system in this movie was actually a pretty new idea at the time? The Justice Prisoner and Alien Transportation System, or JPATS, was formed in 1995. And, it, and it's combined to simplify the system where it was previously ran by the U.S. Marshal Service and the Bureau of uh, Immigration and Custom Enforcement. And it immediately got the nickname Con Air, which screenwriter Scott Rosenberg, uh, yeah, Rosenberg tagged along on a few flights to do re for research purposes, which, why? Well, Just ask someone who works there. Like, I get you want to get into it, but... I didn't realize it was a real thing. Yeah, so it was. It, it's actually cheaper to get like a whole flight to, of these guys together because... You know, immigration was a big problem. Oh, right. And, you know, it was actually back in the 90s. Like, and so they would just 
put them on a plane and charter them down. They just get a put them in a big detention center, and then they charter them down. And so, I like you know good on them for wanting to ride a plane, but literally, I'm one of those guys. You think of a scenario, <laughs> and you're like, hey, I'm gonna write a I want to write a movie about a bunch of convicts in the air taking over the airplane and like nothing good goes <laughs> you know, nothing goes right yeah <laughs> literally like watch the movie like just a lot of bad things happen in the right order <laughs> i wonder how many of these were like first-hand situations that he had to come across while he's in the plane coming up with ideas for yeah. the movie so the movie came out in 97 so it's been going on for two years They're like we're like, well, we can't let any of these people watch movies before. <laughs> can't let any of these guys watch movies. They're like, oh, this, they they were able to do it. Maybe we can too. It just causing nothing but problems in real life. You're like, I bet every like U.S. Marshal director's like, oh my god, I hate this fucking movie. You know, it's the same way with like all these uh, movies with AI robots in it. And then like, you know, now we're in a time where they have robots doing parkour and can shoot and right. Like, why? Like, haven't you guys ever watched them? I get it. You're a super nerd, and you spend most of your days in a lab and, like, have no girlfriends. So you can't take them out on a date or anything like that, but... Back in the 80s, somebody <laughs> came up with the idea that in the coming years, this is not going to be a good idea. And Scott Connors... Yeah. Going <laughs> to come Terminator. back. Like, everyone has got to have seen that movie by now. But, uh, good thing about this movie, it was actually nominated for two Oscars. One, this is going to blow your mind, one of the Oscars for Best Original Song of How Do You Do, or How Do I Live, by the <laughs> Liam Rhymes, but it also, this same year, it got a Razzie Award for Worst Song. <laughs> Contradicts itself. Yeah, right. so, um, yeah. I'm not really sure how that worked. <laughs> I love the song, personally. Probably didn't work with the whole cons in the air Action, action-packed movie, but, and then yeah. it's just a nice, soft, <laughs> sweet song. It's, well, maybe it was just, like, really good time planning and marketing situations. Like, hey, we're going to get this girl's song out, you know? But uh, but it eventually lost the uh, uh, original song, and for best sound is the other one, but it lost, to both, of, uh, lost both of those uh, Oscars to Titanic, which... Everyone lost the Titanic that year. It made a billion dollars, which, and that was like the highest grossing movie until Avatar came out in 2010. My being eight years old when the Titanic came out was, I was only wanting to watch one scene and <laughs> I saw it and I'll never what, forget it. What's so cool about a boat hitting an iceberg? I, I just liked them playing soccer with the piece that fell off. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> I don't care how big of a boat I was on. Like, this thing hit something. I don't. I was like, that water is probably extremely cold. I want nothing to do with that. <laughs> uh, funny thing is, uh, Conair actually did win another Razzie for worst reckless disregard for human life and public property. Is that when they crashed? No, that's that's actually a real event that somebody died on set. Oh, yeah, he was a. Uh, 39-year-old welder with the special effects team named uh, Philip Schwartz. He's actually, at the end of the credits, they, they honor oh. him in the movie for it. Yeah, it was during the desert scene when they are at like the lunar airstrip. Oh, okay. He was, doing, he was working on an airplane, and it actually rolled over, and it crushed him. And everyone's like, oh, my God. Like, he's a, like this actually does happen. Like It happened in a James Bond film and an Indiana Jones movie, too. Which, it's still sad, but that's... I Not suppose it's, 
it's not a Razzie you would want to like win because uh, the movie Volcano Turbulence Lost Island Jurassic Park and Batman and Robin also won were nominated for that same award <laughs> which yeah yeah <laughs> those are all good movies so uh there is another another fun fact the character Pinball which is played by Dave Chappelle who's a very known comedian actually mm-hmm. improvised most of his lines which <laughs> he doesn't have many, but yeah. <laughs> they're very memorable. <laughs> when he's like, "Hello," to that girl, he's like, "You're the prettiest thing I've seen in five to ten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's he's like, "We're gonna take that lunch too," and he's like, "Is that a goddamn play?" And they're like, like, "Sounds like a damn play." Well, then, like, with, uh, earlier in the movie, <laughs> earlier in the movie, he likes. <laughs> he lights this guy on fire to make a distraction for Cyrus and Diamond Dog to pursue their plan and take over the plane. And <laughs> Dave Chappelle, was the most racist, goes, Oh, he's the last one week is on fire. He's like, he's burning him. He's like, I don't know what he is. He's throwing chan boom, laughing flames. He's like, scooting. He's like, go for the pinball. Go. Well, like, that guy, he ended up surviving, so Pinball's trying to get him to stop the plane. And that guy happens to be the one he's pounding on the window looking at, and he just flips him off. Later on, Pinball gets caught up in the landing gear. <laughs> almost made it. Yeah, almost made it. So even though there was uh, other people to play John Cusack's character, but for the most part, the screenwriter, Scott, said he was friends with the actors Steve Buscemi and John, uh, John Cusack, and he actually wrote those characters to be portrayed by them. So, you know... This guy who likes to go up in airplanes with convicts to you know, get research for a story. <laughs> he, he's friends with all these guys, you know. Steve Buscemi's character, Garland Green, one of the creepiest human beings ever to grace the planet, played by one of the best human beings in my mind to ever grace the planet. Well, speaking of him, there uh, 9-11, which was just a couple days ago for us, he was actually... He used to be a firefighter in New York City, yep. and he actually went down there. And Donated his time. He didn't want any media coverage. He didn't want anybody to know that he was there, and he was hoping to try and locate people. So, uh, boots off to him. Another fun fact. So, you have the, most of it was filmed in Los, or not Los, in, uh, in Utah. But a big portion of it at the very end was in Las Vegas. You know, they're coming right. down the strip and it yep. actually hits that casino. That actual casino was actually destroyed. It was a real casino they had. It was getting ready to demolish, and the guys are like, "Hey, we'll pay for half of that." Yep. And so, and like if you if you watch like the behind the scenes of this thing, it's a. <laughs> when I was a kid, and I was watching this. I thought it was the coolest thing because they had like a miniature town with like remote control cars and a plane on a track. And I was like, like. That could be such the coolest toy ever, like, and they're just destroying it. Like, why don't my parents love me? And they can give me some of that. <laughs> well, when they were coming in to hit the casino with the planes, too, they were, when they were filming the shot of the low-flying planes and the aircraft that were in the air, a lot of uh, civilians in Las Vegas ended up calling the police. <laughs> like, and the, uh, hey, I don't yeah. know what's going on, but there's a lot of low-flying aircraft, <laughs> and... A lot of the offices, officers' offices had to explain to the civilians that were calling in that they were shooting and filming a movie. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, uh, the film's memorable climax when Con Air Plane landed in Vegas and crushes through a, the front of a casino benefits from a real-life uh, 
serendipity of the Sands Hotel, which was about to get demolished anyway. The filmmaker simply just pursued the hotel's owners to wait a few weeks and let them... <laughs> they didn't really slam a plane into it, but they, like, helped, like, actually blow it up and make it a good, like... You, know, you only get one shot, too. Right. <laughs> so, like, I wonder what they were going to do otherwise. <laughs> but another, like, fun fact about the that ending scene was it was supposed to take place somewhere else. Do you know where? Do I know where? No. Yeah, it was supposed to hit the White House. Oh, <laughs> like, interesting. Yeah, yeah, the original plan of it was the plane was going to go and hit the White House, which back then people it wasn't really that big of a deal. You know, right. The, the year prior, you know, aliens came and... Oh, yeah, and before Independence Day. Yeah, and Independence Day, right before, you know. Like, after that happens, you get people like Will Smith punching you in the face and walking you to Earth. Welcome to Earth. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, the thing about it is, like, the... The time frame of the movie, like, it would be... It'd be... <laughs> they'd be in that plane for a really long time. Because they're, you know, going to the White House, and they're like, no, we're gonna go this way instead. So, like, it worked out. Like, it made it... Like, I'd rather see a casino get hit than the White House. Not, not to get too far off topic, but... <laughs> 96, Will Smith punches an alien in the forehead, right? And welcome to Earth. 97, he's part of Men in Black, and he has no idea that aliens exist. Yeah, they probably did the little thing. Oh, the little flashy thing, thing on him. All right. Yeah, it's in the movie. Like, it's made to make you forget. And honestly, do you remember those aliens? Yeah, they're just... they're Well, they're little aliens, but they're in these huge exosuits that... I can strangle you and make you talk telepathically. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to remember that either. <laughs> <laughs> and they won by giving it a virus. <laughs> so, as I said, like, uh, most of it was filmed in Utah at the Oakland Airport, and the U.S. Marshal's hangar was actually in the Salt Lake City International Airport. And so, like, this, uh, the smaller airport in Ogden, uh, Utah, which is about 40 miles north of Salt Lake City stood in for they were supposed to land in Carson City mm-hmm. yeah, but you don't really get to see much of it because it's you know there's a sandstorm going on and shit like that but that's where the prisoner exchange happened and the and the abandoned airstrip was was supposedly found in Death Valley which is actually in the vast salt flats of western Utah which I've been there <laughs> <laughs> but um you like most of the, like you most of these videos that be coming up, a lot of movies are filmed in like Australia or Canada because it's just much cheaper to do there. So it's very surprising seeing anything filmed in the U.S. anymore. So. But uh, this was actually the first movie that uh, Jerry Brockheimer produced after the death of a longtime collaborator with him, with uh, Don Simpson. Well, the uh, Hollywood Uber producers Jerry Brockheimer and Simpson made 11 movies together, including Flashdance, Belleville Hills Cop, Top Gun, and Daves of Thunder. But before Simpsons, uh, Simpsons' death rela- uh, drug-related death on January 19th of 96, uh, their final project was The Rock, and it was in production at the time when Rockheimer already declared his intentions not to work with Simpson anymore just because of his drug abuse. And, like, and it was bad, because they were, they were pretty close friends, but... And that's how it ended. Like they, everything came to a halt because he died. So that was a bummer. And uh, so 
when we were talking about how Nicolas Cage was like just awesome. I mean, because back then I thought that was buff, and now you have like people like Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth, like you know, juicing out their minds. And but uh, Nicolas Cage, he was <laughs> the prison scene where he's doing upside down push-ups. I was, I was like ten. I was like, if I do those, I'm gonna look like that. <laughs> and back then. If I tried standing on my head, I was just going to break my damn neck. <laughs> like, he's just doing, like, the, the narrative voice, talking, you know, writing letters right. back and forth. And I was like, why isn't he doing more push-ups? Like, he can get bigger. And ch- he's in there for, like, seven, eight years. Like, get there, bro. Get that <laughs> but uh, he actually did a lot of his own stunts. Yeah. And that's what uh, that's what the director liked about him. It's because he was... he. He immerses himself inside these roles that he has. Him and Jackie Chan. <laughs> oh, Jackie Chan's been hurt so many times doing his own stunts. That's why I said Nicolas Cage did most of his. Which, in the 90s, a lot of a lot of these tough guys did that. These tough guy actors did that. Like, nowadays, like almost nobody gets to do their stuff, except for Tom Cruise. Cause LeBron he James had to have a stuntman in Space Jam 2. Against <laughs> <gives> cartoons. <laughs> Well, they, like, I get it nowadays. Like, they're paying these guys a ridiculous amount. Like, a $75 million budget. They paid Roddy Downey Jr. like $50 million for first Iron Man. Yeah. So, like, that's their whole budget. Right. Can you imagine, like, those guys back then? They're like, oh, we got to fight tooth and nail for a $50 million, you know, budget. And they're like, oh, we pay one actor that. And they're like, what? Right. And he wasn't even, he wasn't the only A-list actor in that movie. No, he's like, are you in your damn mind? So, so I'm and uh, so my next fun fact. I'm really glad this hasn't happened yet, just because I can't think of a good story that they can probably make this worth anything. But the <clears throat> director was actually was talking one time about uh, back in like 2014 that he wanted to do a sequel to this. Oh god! But it was going to be Connor in space. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So the studio would be like, there had to be robots <laughs> with. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Touched on earlier. So I would I would go see yes, Exactly. Why would you put like I get it, like people don't want to be in space all the time, but so, but so, so much hold on. shit can go are these, wrong. Are these like <laughs> bad robots that get arrested for like taking over whatever they think? Or is it like people going into space? Well he was like really weird because he's like the studio version where they were all robots. Or for the convicts are reanimated into super convicts, you know, like Jason X, you know. <laughs> or like they were good guys and now are bad guys, or the bad guys are now good guys. You know, something shocking he says, but you know, yeah, it's the best thing. This idea was clearly not too intense or too insane for Nicholas Cage to say yes to. If he would do it in a heartbeat, have you seen Ghost Rider? Of course he would do it in a heartbeat. Of course I've seen Ghost Rider. I love those movies. <laughs> what he does like. I can't use it as a like National Treasure. That's one I ever bashed for. I love those movies too. I love National Treasure, but like uh, The Sorcerer's Apprentice. I've never seen it. Me neither. <laughs> and I'm really glad because I think that might just I'll be like, you know what? Maybe Nicolas Cage is a weirdo. But not long ago, I did watch a weird movie. I still have no idea what the, <laughs> like like I know the premise of it, but like the ending didn't make sense. The weird things he does in this movie do not make sense. It was that Wally's Wonderland. Oh, the haunted when he's the he's like the 
keeper of the games or something, isn't he? Yeah, well, he's just some or like guy. a custodian. Well, he like, in the beginning of the movie, he's just driving around a thousand miles an hour in a, in a Camaro, and he has like a bag of this inner drink I've never heard, and they pop his tires, and, like they have like a strike bike strip out, and they're like, oh, the damn kids broke in here and <laughs> grabbed this, and he goes, all right, well, we can fix it for you, but we need some help, you know, if you can pay for it. You can, you know, we can have you, we can put you in this, in this old like their version of Chuck E. Cheese, and so like so he's sitting there mopping and like he doesn't say he says like two words that whole movie, mm. but like he's sitting there mopping and like his his alarm would go off like every hour, and he goes and he and he drinks this, you know, weird ass energy drink while he's putting together like cleaning up this pinball game that he likes to play, well then like these animatronic dudes that things that are possessed by old like an old cult. And so they're going out trying to kill, and they're supposed to feed these guys so to keep the town safe and shit like that. But like, that's just it, how it ends. <laughs> like, he just he's like the one girl that survives. And he, they take her off, and that's it. Yeah, I'm mad about it, but I'm, I'm still gonna be a fan. So I'm not gonna be upset about this. <laughs> I saw Ghost Rider the first time, and after about ten minutes, I'm like, ah, I'm bored. I liked it. I. Even Mendez and Sam Elliott make that movie for me. <laughs> <laughs> you name a Nicolas Cage movie I've seen, I can find a better actor in that movie. Oh, well, challenge accepted. Uh, John yeah. Voight, National Treasure. No. Yes, he's the better actor. John Voight. Plays his dad. Yeah, his dad. Yeah. I'm talking about a National Treasure 2. John Voight. No, not John Voight. He's in that one also. I know he is. I'm like, uh, oh, he plays in The Rock, too. I've never seen The Rock. That's one you haven't seen? Uh-uh. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, Ed Harris. Oh, I love Ed Harris. Yeah, he's in that movie. Okay. Replace him. I dare you. Replace Ed Harris? Yeah. I would never. Yeah, so, mm. Don't you do it. Don't you ever do that again. <laughs> I'm, so, not, I'm not replacing anybody. I'm just saying there's better actors in the movies than Nicolas Cage. I know. Yeah. Like John Malkovich and <laughs> Steve Buscemi no. and so you're Johnny just, Trejo. He just likes to get in movies and like, I'm going to be the main character just because these other guys can outshine me, but my name's going on the front of the box. Exactly. <laughs> well, like, uh, so during, uh, during this, the whole time of this filming, earlier... Uh, or earlier that year, uh, there was a all people were staying in the San Antonio uh, Indigo Hotel, and one of the, a guest actually got there and she called for room service and they're like, "Is there anything else we can get you?" And she, the girl, jokingly said, "She was like a framed picture of Nicolas Cage from the movie Con Air <laughs> by my bed by six. Surely enough, the hotel staff like actually delivered it. No so, we, so like every time someone gets this room." Which I can't find what the actual room it is. There is a picture of Nicolas Cage from that movie in that room now. I wonder if you could call him. You want to call him right now? <laughs> call him and be like, I need the room with Nicolas Cage's picture in it. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I was like, hey, I need some info. But, uh, so... Uh, at this time, there's... Uh, some of the composers and writers of the songs in this movie. Which is Greg, uh, Greg Russell... Yeah, Greg Russell, Art Rochester, and Kevin O'Connell. Those three together have 41 Oscar nominations among them, with no wins. 
and they did they did uh, scoring for things like Skyfall, Spider-Man, and Pearl Harbor. Uh, the conversation, clear and present danger, uh, Dune, Top Gun, a few good men, and Transformers. And they didn't win a single. They thing. didn't win forty-one nominations without win. Like uh, Craig Russell has sixteen nominations himself. Art Rochester has five, and Kevin O'Connell has twenty. Well, they're due. Yeah, someday. <laughs> but then, so uh, like, you know, if I was really gonna get into it, I was gonna look at of like what other movies came out during this time that outdid these because like I know Pearl Harbor was huge yeah that was so like uh shoot I came up 2000 maybe right around that time well 1941 is when it happened well right. duh, yeah <laughs> December 7th the day that will live in infamy oh well, history it's <laughs> <laughs> uh so like a lot of 2001 sorry 2001 uh, came out in 2001 took a shot in the dark what else came out that year? Because uh, how do you meet Pearl Harbor? Like, that was huge. I, oh, one, I am scratching my head right now. But at the time, I was only 12, so. I was 13. <laughs> <laughs> You're just a baby. But anyway, like, overall... Like this is clearly a movie I can watch a hundred times. Like we we talk about it all the time. Yeah, we do. Oh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone came out in one, so I'm sure J.K. Rowling got a lot of that stuff. That's some bullshit. Don't you uh, ever compare those two movies? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joyride came out. Black sheep, black sheep. God, that is one of the candy yeah. I love that movie too. Yeah, I love that one. A Beautiful Mind. Yeah, that that I bet that was it. Um, Jeepers Creepers, the original. That director is a pedophile. We will never cover those movies. All right, good. Not I didn't know that, and I will never ever watch that again. Black Hawk Down came out. Yeah, oh, that was another big one. Oh look at that, Jerry Brockheimer. <laughs> <laughs> Kiss of the Dragon, A Knight's Tale, Exit Wounds, Knock Around Guys, which. It's a very early movie for uh, Vin Diesel and oh another John Malkovich movie yeah, also. John Malkovich is in that too. I loved him in that too. Dennis Hopper, Seth Green, <laughs> Napster, Swordfish. That might have been the one that took it. Oh maybe Hugh Jackman, John Travolta, Halle Berry. I love Halle Berry. Mm-hmm. But but overall. I give that movie probably a good solid seven. Just trying to be conservative. What? What? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> what? 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 So actually, like uh, some of the movies that came out that year was Titanic, and that made two hundred million dollars domestically. We're talking about ninety-seven now, not oh one. Yeah, nice. when when Connor came out, no one cares about Harry Potter. <laughs> but it also made a billion dollars that year. Harry Potter came out that early, two thousand one. Sorcerer's Stone. I hate everything about that. <laughs> it was, that was just a bad year all around. Wasn't it? I'm pretty sure the first time I re- heard that book was about ninety nine. So yeah, it was so popular and when I was in elementary school and then three years later they wrote and directed and 
did the movie for it. I never knew it was a thing until like it became a movie, and I was like, "Who the hell is this geek? And why does everyone keep calling me this Harry Potter?" Because <laughs> he looks like him. I did not look like him. You, you jerk. Yes, you did. Without the scar. I'm about to have a scar. <laughs> Anyway, back in 1997, before the world was ruined, uh, Men in Black was actually one of the top charters that made 100 and, uh, $173 million. You see this badge? It says NYPD, <laughs> which stands for I Will Knock Your Punk Ass Down. <laughs> That's another great movie. That Tommy Lee Jones, he's pretty good there. Mm-hmm. He does everything with Jerry Brockheimer. You know they have like that game? The seven steps to Kevin Bacon. Uh-uh. You never heard of them? Like, okay, they'll pick some random celebrity and then Kevin Bacon, and you have to like make seven different connections, and it'll always get to back to Kevin Bacon. Like everyone has a connection to Kevin Bacon. Well, there's somebody came out and it was like the uh, six. It's like six. There, like you're connected to anybody in this world because of six different people. I can't remember what it's called, though. Well, uh, you can probably do uh, connected to Jerry Brockheimer in one step. Because he literally has had his hand on everything except for me. I (laughs) (laughs) will. Me too. It's true. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, you know, can't, you know, this guy's got to be just busy out of his mind. Like, he has, like, 17 things going on at once. I'm sure he delegates. That, that'd be smart, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure as he's sipping his champagne on his yacht in the middle of Mex- or middle of the Gulf of Mexico right now, he's, yeah, looks good. Yeah, just sign, sign, sign the check. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that's all I have to say about the movie. Do you have anything else? Nope, I can't think of anything. Besides... Uh, some of the characters, Baby O, also played uh, Bubba from Forrest Gump, and the the guy that played Swamp Thing. Guess who else touched that movie? <laughs> Jerry Bruckheimer. <laughs> <laughs> the the guy that played Swamp Thing uh, had a memorable quote. <laughs> no one up here gives a flying fuck. <laughs> Get it, flying fuck. Get it. <laughs> He's also uh, Roscoe P. Coltrane <laughs> in the Dukes P. of Hazard movie that came out in the early 2000s. Yeah, see, like, a lot of these guys are still like, like Danny Trio is in every B movie ever, just like Nicolas Cage, John Cusack. He's, he's... See, and I think that might be why I don't like Nicolas Cage. Because he's had allegedly three great movies, and I've only seen one of the three. But he's a B-list <laughs> actor. Like, why would you take B B-roll movies if you're said, so good? Well, I was watching the interview, and he was talking about how he takes these movies because, like, those characters and those roles, like, he gets to do that. Like, he likes being those roles. Like, once he these goofy roles and stuff like that. But, and then he has some serious movies out there, too. Like, the, I think it's called The Knowing. Yeah. Yeah, that was... Is that, like, The Happening with Mark Wahlberg? No. Okay, I have no idea what it is. I watched about a half hour of The Happening with Mark Wahlberg, and I thought a junior high kid could have acted better than Mark Wahlberg. So if you actually had, like, the next four hours, I could actually, like, tell you how that movie 
is possible. <laughs> the happening? Yeah. Oh. You know, it, like, it would be, have to be on, like, a massive scale, but it, would, it could happen. Stay tuned. <laughs> stay, stay tuned, kids. <laughs> so, uh, but that's it for us for today. Go ahead, comment, and see what you want to hear next time. Otherwise, come back. <laughs>